Welcome everyone to the Gov Navigator Show, a government-focused program that won't make you seasick. We're the Gov Navigators. I'm Robert Shea. And I'm Adam Hughes. We hope to enlighten and enliven your week with news and insightful, entertaining guests, all on the topic of government management. Enjoy today's episode of Gov Navigators, brought to you by the creative geniuses behind the award-winning podcast, FedHeads. Welcome to another episode of the Gov Navigator Show. I'm Robert Shea. And I'm Adam Hughes. How are you, Robert? Good. You sound pretty chipper, given that you're just digging out of the Thanksgiving holiday. Yeah, we had a, a lovely holiday. A lot of people hosted with a lot of people. It was great. But it does. it takes a while to get things back to normal. Yeah. We were in Nashville, home of country music, uh, and had a lovely time. What a great town. And you didn't have to clean up that much afterwards. No, we did. We chipped in. The Shays chip in. We uh, we carried our weight. No one will say we're bad guests. I mean, they shouldn't say we're bad. They might very well say that. But yeah, full, a full long weekend of activities in the Hughes house too. So hit hit up Top Golf. Went out to a bar in D.C. I mean, thing, things you got crossed crazy. the river. You crossed yeah. the river. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. With the whole, places. did you get a bus? No, no, no. This was a smaller group got of it. the adults not the grandparents not the kids the adults so it was a slow week but i noticed omb tried to sneak in a little improper payments report thinking nobody would notice we noticed we noticed because we're gov navigators that's right but uh it it was kind of funny and let me let me read this so that i get it right this was a report on improper payments and they said quote Excluding three time-bounded pandemic relief programs that were designed, implemented, and overwhelmingly administered at the onset of the pandemic in 2020, Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program, Paycheck Protection Program, and COVID-19 Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program, the FY2023 rate was 4.03%, the lowest level since 2014. So let me get your judgment on that prefatory clause. Well, I suppose another way of saying that is excluding all the things that make the numbers look bad for us, we did pretty well. That's right. Excluding all the times that I struck out, my batting average was pretty good. Yeah. As we note in this week's Gov Navigators newsletter, it's sort of like, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? Is that is it too soon? No, no, not too soon. That was, what, 160 years ago? Maybe slightly different on the, the severity scale, those two things. But, um, you know, I did notice that OMB put out a very similar release last year, I believe on the exact same date, the 2022 release is November 23rd, 2022. Mm. So burying it in the tryptophan sleepiness that comes with Thanksgiving. And release almost reads similarly, OMB is releasing its annual government-wide data on improper payments. The very next sentence says, before digging into the numbers, (laughs) and then they spend a whole paragraph talking about what improper payments are and blah, blah, blah. And interestingly, the 2022 release says that the rate meaningfully declined from 7.2 to 5.1, even as new programs, including pandemic relief programs, reported for the first time. So last year, they said it meaningfully declined, including pandemic relief programs and their improper payments. And this year, I'm like, well, we don't want to do what we did last year. We want the headline to read the same. It's clever writing. But it makes me wonder whether this is, is this a new tradition, sort of Mm. like Thanksgiving, stuffing, planes, trains, automobiles, and OMB's annual improper payments report? With a a headline 
that's been spruced up for the holiday. Right. Yeah. Well, let's not belabor it because uh, we've got a little travelogue to cover on this we, this week's program. We do. Some exciting stuff coming ahead. Robert, we have a very fantastic guest with us today. Uh, I don't know if you know, Dan, I had the pleasure of working with Dan Pomeroy at the General Services Administration years ago when I worked there. So it's probably an understatement to say that he knows where all the bodies are buried over at uh, 1800 F Street. <laughs> I, are we going to get him to share stories about his time suffering, long suffering time with you? <laughs> <laughs> I, that might be the topic for a separate podcast. But Dan, Dan, welcome to the Gov Navigator Show. Dan, you are the Deputy Associate Administrator at the Office of Technology Policy in the Office of Government-Wide Policy at the General Services Administration. Welcome. Correct. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, but unfortunately, after saying that title, we're out of time. <laughs> we're out of time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now we know how efficient the government is. Keep That's the titles right. long and the meeting short, right? By the time everyone introduces themselves, the meeting is over. Dan, why don't you give us a little bit about your background and the work that you've been doing at, at GSA so folks know who you are? That's great. Thank you. I've been serving in this capacity for about five years now. Uh, it's really interesting kind of work that we do. We partner with the federal community, the federal IT community, and the executive office of the president in a couple different ways to look for ways in which we can implement policy improvements and make policy recommendations and leadership that's coming down from the executive office of the president, a more practical, tangible thing, make things real. And we try to be the sinew between policies and, and operations and what agencies actually need to get work done to complete their mission. And so in that way, we facilitate the mission of every federal agency in one degree or another. Before that, I had the opportunity to work on the Centers of Excellence program under the Office of American Innovation. Prior to that, I did the Data Center Optimization Initiative, government-wide PMO. You know, it took seven years, but every agency got an A on the FATARA scorecard for data center. And we we went, wow, that's how long real real change takes is 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 that time frame and rarely fits neatly into a 12-month performance plan to do effective government-wide policy. So I've had some great opportunities to work in the federal government and with, and recently with a number of our foreign partners, which is exciting too. So you had me until sinew. I think we may need sinew. a glossary for the podcast. So what you said was really interesting and important. Those of us in Congress and OMB think writing laws and memos is the sort of magic. You you write those things and everything gets done. Talk about the secrets to making sure that what you are what flows down has some practical impact. Yeah, the secret is listening and opening up strong communities of practice, bringing together practitioners, executives, experts from industry in some cases, and listening and listening and then do more listening and then do more listening. And then whatever gets formulated needs to be based on those realities. And you have to understand who you're listening to. We have a very diverse federal community. We have very large agencies. You could name them. They're the DODs, HHS. We have very large agencies, Department of Agriculture. Then we have small and medium agencies, and we have small and micro boards. 
And in some cases, policies are written for everyone to comply with, regardless of the the size of the agency. And so being able to come up with solutions that can be adapted successfully in lots of different environments is the real art form. And that requires engagement and it requires investing in the mission outcomes and not letting any particular approach you believe would work for almost everybody you got to make sure those approaches, you got to make sure you don't force one approach. You don't want to put a pair of shoes on someone that doesn't fit. So it's 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 a tricky game. But the like I said, if we don't have robust communities of practice where practitioners feel like they have the ability to speak openly and have input on policy outcomes, then we're not succeeding as well as we could. From my time at GSA, every agency thinks they're the special snowflake. <laughs> right. That no, we're different. You don't because they are. Every, every snowflake is different. There's Correct. To that, right. right. And I think you know, love to hear your thoughts. How do you walk that line between trying to implement policies where folks are saying, "Well, this doesn't apply to us because we're different," and you said, which I think is really astute, which is listening to the challenges that different types of organizations and agencies have within the government. How do you balance those two things, but particularly when a lot of times you're not necessarily the final decision maker, right? You're no. implementing a law that Congress wrote or something that the White House told you to do. Talk about that. That seems like a balancing act that requires a lot of agility. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. It's different in every case, and I know that's a little bit of a cop-out answer, but we always have to approach these problems from a service-based position, is how can we provide toolkits and useful artifacts to help that agency adapt the policy that's being asked of them to their unique situation. And so the secret is, is to come up with the best playbooks, guidebooks, implementation, research that we can do, make it widely available. And instead of being prescriptive with with a way in which things have to be done, in some cases you have to do that, especially in cyber. But for managing technology efficiently, a lot of what we do is come up with strong playbooks that work almost all the amount of time and then let that agency adapt things locally to what they need and to, to meet the spirit of, of what's trying to be asked of them, not just the not just the letter. We had to do that in data center optimization. That was a really key thing. Small agencies with small data center closets or floors in a building are not the same thing as the Department of Energy, which you know has to do major research in large data centers. It's a great question. So, it's, it's an art form. You you may not know this, Dan, but Adam Adams and my relationship began sort of breaking our pick on trying to get the government to be more transparent about its financial transactions. I understand you recently uh, returned from a trip internationally where that was discussed. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's uh, other duties as assigned for sure. Tell me right. how that how that happened. <laughs> you know, I I certainly didn't go to an international affairs school, but. If you're working hard, right. sometime you get tapped on the shoulder to go do a thing, right? Right. So the open government initiatives that have been taking place, the federal government, date back to the Obama administration. And GSA has had different uh, d- different well, roles. In earlier that. than earlier than that. Let me that. I'll call you on that. <laughs> I'm going to play the Bush administration card on there. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough, Robert. Take your point. I take your point. But... The formalization of the Open Government Partnership, that was 2011, is what I'm referring to. There's 75 nations and 104 local governments that represent over 2 billion people that are part of this Open Government Partnership. 
And that is because there's a, a formalized NGO that is working with every member agency to make sure that their their plans to do open government, to make sure government is more transparent, are, are meeting the highest standards possible. So instead of us self-selecting what we want to do to have open government, we're accountable. We're accountable to our international partners and we're accountable to entities that can look at our plans and say, hey, you've got some opportunities to improve. You're doing some things well, doing some things not well. And so what we went to was the Open Government Partnership Annual Summit in Tallinn, Estonia. Purpose of this is, is to push transparent government globally. Uh, and it's, it's really interesting. One of, some of their other goals include countering authoritarianism worldwide, obviously increasing accountability and citizen engagement is kind of the, the goal of, of what everybody's trying to accomplish. So in December of 2022, the Biden-Harris administration released the U.S. government's fifth open government national action plan. So we put together a plan. It's composed of, you know, five key themes and six commitments underneath those five key themes. And we have those posted on open.usa.gov, which is a website we're going to modernize soon, you know, as as funding comes through after uh, the budget goes through and all that good stuff. When will that uh, be? Never, <laughs> yeah. never mind. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just that, inquiring listeners want to know. So, you know, our, our goals here are pretty evident. You know, we want to increase the public's access to data to better serve equity. We want to engage the public in the regulatory process. We want to make government records more accessible to the public. And we want to improve the delivery of government services and benefits. And so what we have is, is we're working. The international component is handled by our friends at the White House Office of Technology Policy, as well as Department of State and the USAID. And our role at GSA is to help consolidate the efforts that are happening in the other agencies that have responsibilities and commitments in that national action plan to help them fulfill their commitments, keep an eye on how they're doing, to report out. Another key piece is to have public engagement component. So we are reaching out publicly. We've, we just had a, one of several public engagement meetings yesterday, and we will be scheduling more in the future. And we do that to have a feedback loop on what we're doing across the federal government on open government, as well as build a foundation for what the next action plan will look like to make sure we're engaging the public and engaging members of the U.S. Civic Society organization in that as well, who are a really important partner in this activity. So you ever been to Estonia before? I had not been to Estonia. It's fantastic. And they, they, were, I, they were very, very welcoming, great. Nothing negative to say about Estonia. It was fantastic. How was the, how was the food? Magnificent. So really, what for, did you like? What did you have? <laughs> Let me just say, I did, never had a bad meal the whole week I was there. So it's oh, all great. good. If you like Baltic <clears throat> cuisine, I'm sure it holds up as well as any of them, if not one of the best. I I was there a long time ago, and I believe at the time you've been to Estonia. In, yes, sir. Well, you well, know, Gov Navigator says a very generous vacation policy. Yes, I do know <laughs> yeah. that. Robert, Robert has pointed that out to me many times. But when I was there, I believed that they had, at least in Tallinn, free Wi-Fi, government Wi-Fi, everywhere. You know, the Estonian government has done, has really operated in an exemplary fashion to have the one of the strongest portfolios of digital tools available for citizens to interface with government. They have an app. The app on your phone can help you register your car and get your driver's license sorted out and pay your taxes and 
register yourself to vote. They have really been one of the leaders in Europe when it comes to digitalization. In fact, they use that digital code, they use the code base for that app and worked with the Ukrainian nation to give them that code and then the Ukrainians could modify that and use it for the needs that they have now that they're they're engaged in a conflict with Russia. So not only have the Estonians done a fantastic job to lead the government, to show what government technology can look like, they've, they've been fantastic sharing partners as well. That's great. How do we stack up against other countries with whom you met and where can we improve? I came away from that experience thinking personally that I think we could raise the bar on ourselves of how much we spend on our digital assets and we could probably do we could probably do more with less and roll out more features. Look at the digital team in in Ukraine and you'll definitely see some folks that are putting out some fantastic tools under great duress and with minimum assets. So I, my ability to accept complaints from folks that say we can't do it, we don't have enough money, you know, we need <laughs> the schedule's too aggressive and you haven't given us a lot of resources. A lot of those arguments don't hold weight in other places in the world where where they're they're accomplishing a lot with very little. Dan's come back on fire. Like they yeah. can do it in Ukraine, <laughs> they can do it here. Yeah. Right, right, right. I mean, he's not wrong. That's a compelling thing to know, too, that they're and I've seen news reports of this, too, but that that foundation, I didn't know that a lot of it, at least a lot of the code came from Estonia. But the ability to to do that under those conditions, it should clear out some of the more typical excuses that you hear here in the United States and in some of the government hallways that at least I've been in. Right. Federalism so, is a thing, too. They don't have the same federalistic barriers that we do. And, and, and that's by design. And. We could work around that. We could do a lot more, I think. So the point of this was sort of to share and engage internationally. What Have you brought back any policy ideas or changes that you are interested in trying to implement or sharing with other agencies here in the U.S. government? Not in terms of specific policies, but processes is very, very important. So one of the things that we've done at GSA is we're changing strategy when it comes to open government. We've established a brand new open government secretariat with permanent staff in, in my organization at GSA's Office of Government-Wide Policy. We have new funding available to us to make sure that we have long-term approach. What that allows us to do is build on a foundation to improve our processes. Not that the processes we had before were we're bad, but we can do more. We can have more openness. We can engage more with civic society and the public, and we can come up with a methodology to to make sure that there are more voices heard in in when we develop our next national action plan. As we we're still working on our fifth national action plan, the one I mentioned before, we want to make sure that those commitments are are fulfilled. As we've made those commitments, we want to keep those commitments and keep book on them. At the same time, we're also looking forward to saying, how, what can we learn from other countries with their business processes, and what did they use to come up with their national action plans that we could do differently and improve the level of inclusion that we have in building out our open government commitments. I was just with Amy Edwards-Holmes. She leads the Bloomberg Center for Government Excellence. But she was also at Treasury and implemented the Data Act and was talking about trying to get the data standards correct 
that tracked the money flow from the federal government all the way down to the ultimate recipient with the idea that someday we would be able to align performance standards yeah. against those and be able to see how what we were getting for the dollars we spend. Was that a topic of conversation in Estonia? And did you see anybody advancing particularly in that regard? I think some of the takeaways and a lot of the, this is is public if you go to you know the open government partnership website many of the experts that came to be part of that global community made the case that in order to combat corruption that openness and transparency of data is the number one way to do that a great example is nation states that have moved to a fully transparent acquisition posture it's much more difficult to move money around to the wrong people when everything is mm. more transparent. We in the United States over the years have been doing a good job about putting out as much as we possibly can publicly. We've got public postings for statements of work, you know, et cetera. Uh, and those are all good things. That transparency is the natural antidote to corruption. Mm. And countries that have increased their transparency have also been able to to tamp down on on areas that are inefficient. I think we're we're about out of time, but you know, you, you all do a lot more than just the Go Open Government Initiative in your office. Anything that you're working on now that you're particularly excited about? We've really appreciated the emphasis that this administration has put on accessibility and to make sure our digital tools can be accessed by every single person. You know, it is the law in the Rehabilitation Act, federal websites, federal digital assets need to be accessible. And if we think, well, accessibility only applies to a small number of people, there are 40 million people in the United States who use accessibility features. And we have to hold the federal government to a high standard and provide tools that they need to be successful in that regard. So in the FY23 appropriations bill, the General Services Administration was given additional responsibility to improve data collection and reporting around Section 508 activities that are happening inside of agencies. And we've got a great partnership with not only the U.S. Access Board, but also the Department of Justice that also has some responsibilities in this space. And between the three of us, we've been able to, to do a lot. Because this was an FY23 ask, we're working through that process right now. So we've got new authorities, new opportunities to collect data, new opportunities to give feedback to agencies to have them improve their 508 programs internally. We also pr produce tools. We have an accessibility requirements tool. If you're going to put out a solicitation, you can come to our accessibility requirements tool and go through a wizard type interface to help you pull down the language that you need to put in, in your procurement. We also use artificial intelligence for a solicitation review tool. When solicitations are posted online, we use AI to read those solicitations and see how they can be improved in terms of could there be better 508 language in the contract itself. And we, what we're doing is we have both of these pillars and where we want to innovate is to shrink that feedback loop between the idea of putting together a pro procurement and then getting feedback on whether or not the language that you included in the procurement is is sufficient. So that's one thing that it's hot on hot on our to-do list. That's all. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we keep busy. Dan, this has been great. We really appreciate you coming on. You are, as usual, juggling a lot of different important things at GSA. And I really I love what you said at the beginning, particularly about, you know, 
the the art form of I think working in government wide policy at GSA is, is really about listening. So I hope folks get a chance to listen to this because you shared a lot of great stuff with us. Thanks, Adam. It's great. And thanks, Robert. Good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks for being on and good luck to you. This is you've got a lot on your plate. Thank you. Thanks again to Dan Pomeroy from GSA for joining us today on the Gov Navigator show. Delightful. Oh, he's fan he's fantastic. He was one of the first people I met when I started working at at GSA. And honestly did showed me the ropes. It was my first time in the executive branch and and GSA is an interesting agency within the executive branch to work in. So he was very helpful when I first met him. Great. What's coming up this week for you, Robert? Well, it looks like a fairly uneventful week, but I note AGA and a firm uh, are hosting the Enterprise Risk Management Summit November 28th and 29th. Um, you know, maturing enterprise risk management across government has been an important priority across administrations. So they'll have a lot to talk about. What about you? Well, I'm getting my first colonoscopy on Wednesday. That's exciting. Okay. Should we do like a like Katie Kirk on the Today Show and have a Gov Navigator Show team? Can we can you? we can we do a fireside chat afterwards and review? Sure. Absolutely. All the highlights. Yeah. Good Lord. So I, I mean, have unless to... it's bad news, I don't want yeah. to be there with bad news. I do have to reschedule a, a couple of lunch appointments yeah. now that I've read all the fine print. It's no, it's no week to test out the Tex-Mex menus across. <laughs> no, correct. And I, you know, I think the first week after Thanksgiving is also we're heading into to holiday party season. So those will start popping up more and more. And and honestly, I know that. There are four full weeks until Christmas. My kids are off the last one that of those four full weeks. So it's, it really feels more like three to me. So we'll see if we'll see how much we can cram in to that in those three weeks. Yep. And we don't have to sign an appropriations bill before New Year's. Thankfully, things should be lighter in the legislative branch over the next something, few weeks, hopefully. Something will go wrong. <laughs> That's the attitude. Have a good week, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Gov Navigator Show, brought to you by Gov Navigators. We sure hope you enjoyed it and learned something in the process. And didn't get seasick. Right, of course. If you want to know more about us and what we're up to, please follow us on social media or visit govnavigators.com. Ahoy! Oh, jeez.